Let's go on to chapter 1. On page 24, Om, I bow to the Supreme Lord of the earth, and now the respected Bhagavad Gita. Blind ambition said, and he was talking to Sanjay, who is charioteer. Remember, Vedavyas came to him and he said, Dhritarashtra, blind ambition, I'm going to give you divine vision so that you can see the destruction that your failure to act has brought about. The way you've behaved is going to cause the destruction of your family. And I'm going to give you inner vision so that you can watch. Dhritarashtra said, Baby asks, I never saw these people when they were alive. How will I recognize who is slaying whom as they're dying? Uh, why don't you give the divine vision to my charioteer, who's Sanjay, and let Sanjay narrate to me the, all the events that are going to take place? He's the blind king. No. Blind ambition is Dhritarashtra. He was the blind king. And he was blind from birth. Okay. He couldn't see the battle. He never saw the children. Vedavyas came to him and said, I'm going to give you inner vision so you can watch the destruction that your actions have taken. And a blind ambition, the king said, no, don't give it to me. Give it to Sanjay, my charioteer, and let him describe the events to me. So now, blind ambition is talking to his charioteer. And he says, in the battle to manifest the ideal of perfection, in the battlefield of all action and all behavior, where my own children and the sons of he who is without prejudice, that's his brother, gathered with the desire to fight, what transpired, O oh, you who are victorious over all? That's how he addresses his servant. Sanjay, he who is victorious over all, some means over all, all together. Joy means victorious. Sanjay's name is he who is victorious over all. The charioteer replies to the king. Seeing the battle formation of the forces of those without prejudice, those are the sons of Pandu. The supreme leader, the defender of evil, that's Durjadan, approached the great teacher, Bhishma, who injures his foes with weapons, Drona, and spoke these words. O oh, great, great teacher, look at the battle formation of the mighty forces of those without prejudice, who deployed, deployed by the son of who stands like a wooden pillar, whose name is who attacks impurity, and by your own disciples with excellent contemplation. There are heroic warriors equal to who knows no fear and the clarity of pure devotion, who wear, wield mighty bows, defender of the wealth, another name of whose nature is truth, and brilliantly shining, and he who stands like a wooden pillar, great warriors." continuity of light and one tone in chanting and the king of manifested light are heroic warriors who has complete victory who enjoys taking away the deficiency of others and the son of unselfishness are the best of men who conquers the mind and who is not overcome and excellent ability are mighty heroes 
the son of the excellent of excellence, whose name is, whose mind is directed. The sons of the enemy of offenders, all are great warriors. Know also the principles on our side, O excellent among the twice-born. For your knowledge I declare to you the leaders of my army. Yourself, and who rules fear, and who thinks himself the doer, and who does and gets, always victorious in battle, who has the obstinacy of a horse, who is deaf to evil, and the son of the ambassador of the nectar of devotion. And there are many other heroic warriors who will risk their lives for me, wielding various weapons, all well versed in the skills of battle. Invincible is this force of ours protected by who rules fear, while their force protected by who knows no fear will be easy to defeat. In whatever situation or wherever your position, who rules fear must definitely always be protected. The elder of the Kuru family, the celebrated great-grandfather who rules fear, blew on his conch shell to make it sound loudly like a lion's roar, feeling him, the defender of evil, with delight. Then all at once conches, drums, cymbals, and horns reverberated in a tumultuous sound. Then, situated on a magnificent chariot attached to white horses, both whose sweetness is intoxicating, Krishna, and the son of who is without prejudice, Arjuna, sounded their divine conch shells. Of the five elements was the name of the conch shell which belongs to the ruler of the senses, Krishna. Ambassador of the gods was the name of the conch shell of conqueror of wealth, Arjuna. Mark of distinction was the name of the great conch of the one of fearful activities who has a voracious appetite. The king who remains committed to the ideal, the son of who takes away the deficiency of others with his conch named infinite victory, who is free from pain with his conch named excellent battle cry, equal to the gods with his conch named ornament of jewels. The supreme king of manifested light who dwells at the summit, great warriors, who attacks impurity, brilliantly shining, whose nature is truth, who are undefeated. He who stands like a wooden pillar, the sons of the enemy of offenders, the son of the excellent of excellence. With mighty arms, they all blew their conches again and again, O Lord of the earth. That tumultuous sound which echoed between heaven and earth pierced the hearts of the supporters of blind ambition. Now, seeing the supporters of blind ambition in battle array, with their weapons at the ready to commence the fight, the son of he who is without prejudice, Arjuna, who had a monkey on his flag, raised his bow. Remember uh, uh, when Beam went out looking for lotuses one day? Beam was the, the, the biggest of the five brothers. He went out looking lotuses while the five Pandabas were in exile in the forest for, four, uh, for 12 years. They had to spend 11 years in the forest and the 12th year in hiding. Beam went out looking for lotuses and on the path he saw an old monkey. And he said, hey monkey, move your tail out of the, pa 
and the monkey said, I'm an old man and I'm tired and I just came up here to rest by myself. If, if it's bothering you, you move it yourself. Beam got angry. He said, I'm not going to stoop down to pick up the tail of any old monkey. You move that tail out of my path right now. The old monkey said, I'm an old man and I'm tired. I came up here for some rest and I'm too tired to move the tail myself. You move the tail if it's bothering you. Beam got very mad. And he walked right over to that monkey and he grabbed that tail by, with one hand and he started to pick it up. And he struggled and struggled and struggled and he couldn't budge the tail at all. <laughs> well, then he was very much concerned. He took both of his hands and he, took, he grabbed that tail with both hands and put all of his strength. And remember, when Beam was a child, he drank the elixir of the, of the king of the snakes gave him a special drink which gave him the strength of 10 elephants. And Beam started to pick up that tail and he struggled and he struggled and he couldn't budge the tail at all. Then he turned to that monkey, he said, hey monkey, <laughs> you're no ordinary monkey. <laughs> Who are you? And the monkey said, I told you to sing the name of Ram, brother. <laughs> and he was Hanuman. And when Beam realized that he was in the presence of Hanuman, he said, Hanuman, we're getting ready for a big war. Would you come and help us in the fight? And Hanuman said, my days of fighting are over. <laughs> but I give you my blessings and I will join you. I will be the emblem on your flag. So now, the son of he who is without prejudice, who had a monkey on his flag, raised his bow. And then, O Lord of the earth, he spoke these words to ruler of the senses, Krishna. The clarity of pure devotion said, O oh, you who remain established in the self, Krishna, place my chariot between the two armies so that I may see those who are positioned with the desire for war with whom I shall require to engage in battle. Let me see who's on the other side, the opposing army. I shall see those who have assembled here for war, the supporters of the corrupted intelligence of defender of evil and those who wish well to blind ambition. Oh, he who is victorious over all said, O oh, you who dwell in the land where the light of wisdom always shines, he's talking to the king, Dhritarashtra, thus addressed by he who has conquered sleep, Arjuna, ruler of the senses, Krishna, placed the excellent chariot between the two armies. Facing who rules fear and who injures his foes with weapons and all the other kings and said, O son of she who excels Arjuna, see this assembly of those who will act or the members of your family, the descendants of action. 
There, son of she who excels Arjuna saw, fathers and grandfathers, teachers and uncles, cousins, sons, grandsons, and even friends, fathers-in-law and well-wishers were in both of the opposing armies. So here Arjuna is looking over the, the battlefield. He's surveying the ranks of both of the opposing armies, and he sees everybody's re related. They're all relatives. I get somebody's father, their grandfather, their, their, their father-in-law, their brothers, their sons, their cousins, their aunts. Their, everybody was related, teachers and students. Seeing that the opposing armies were comprised of relatives, the son of who takes away the deficiency of others, Arjuna, became extremely grieved and with great sorrow spoke these words. The clarity of pure devotion said, O Lord of all action, Krishna, at the sight of all of my relatives positioned in battle formation, my limbs droop, my mouth becomes dry, shivers course through my body, and my hair stands on edge. My bow named whose song causes terror slips from my hand and my skin feels a burning sensation. My mind is filled with confusion and I am unable to assume my position. And you a beautiful hair, Krishna, I see adverse signs which tell that nothing good can be obtained by killing my own family in a useless war. O Lord of all action, Krishna, I have no longing for victory, nor for a kingdom, nor even for happiness. O one of one-pointed light, Krishna, what is the value of a kingdom of enjoyments or even life? Those persons for whom we would desire a kingdom, enjoyments, and happiness, those very persons are positioned here, ready to risk their lives and treasures in battle. Teachers, fathers, sons, and even grandfathers, uncles, fathers-in-law, grandsons, brothers-in-law, and other relations. O oh, slayer of too much, Krishna, I don't desire to kill them for the kingdom of the three worlds. How then for an earthly kingdom? O oh, you who are invoked by the people, Krishna, what delight will come to us from slaying the supporters of blind ambition? Only sin can accrue to us for the slaying of these selfish thieves. Therefore, we should not kill the supporters of blind ambitions, our own relatives. How can we be happy by destroying our own family? Greed has obscured their consciousness so that they cannot perceive the defects in the destruction of their own family and the sin in behaving as traitors with friends. Why don't we, who have understanding and are able to perceive the defects, turn away from the sin of destroying our family, O oh, you who are invoked by the people, Krishna? With the destruction of a family comes the loss of the ideals of the family, the manifestation of that which is eternal. When the ideals are lost to a family, then behavior becomes contrary to the ideal. When behavior com becomes contrary to the ideal Lord of all action, Krishna, there is corruption of the engendering and nurturing nature of the family. 
When the engendering and nurturing nature of the family becomes corrupt, oh, all-powerful, there becomes a confusion of attitudes. Engendering confusion creates a hell for the family as well as for those born in the family. When ancestors are deprived of offerings of respect, everyone falls. With these defects in engendering confusion, the traditions of a destroyed family become extinct, along with the ideals of life and the ideals of family. O oh, you who are invoked by the people, Krishna, those men who are bereft of the ideals of family reside in hell for an eternity, so we have been taught. How amazing that we could have considered to commit such a great sin of killing our own relations through greed for the pleasures of a kingdom. If I were slain unarmed and unresisting by weapons of the supporters of blind ambition, that would be better for me. He who is victorious over all said, Thus, clarity of pure devotion spoke of his conflict and with his mind obscured by anguish set aside his bow and arrows and sank into his chariot. And there ends chapter 1. I'd like to call your attention to verse 44, who say, where it says, Those men who are bereft of the ideals of family reside in hell for an eternity. Look at the, the problems that our society is experiencing even today, where there are so many single-parent families, and the children are not raised with engendering and nurturing spirit. They're, uh, they reside in a hell. They grow up in a hell of confusion, of constant conflict. Uh, so here he's saying, that why don't we who have understanding avoid this, this disaster? And not make our children suffer by slaying each other on the field of battle. Well, there's a whole lot in here. Are there any questions? Whose translation are you comparing with? Um, well, Marshy's and um, Winthrop Sargent. Uh-huh. It's um, a nice book they published from State University of New York uh -huh. to help you learn Sanskrit when they translate it. Uh-huh. Right. Um, Marshy's marries somebody Winthrop Sargent and you're a whole new, <laughs> theoretically different for a few universes. I'm considered to be a radical. <laughs> <laughs> One thing is you're, you're translating a lot more words than you do the names. Uh, sure. Words are just saying what you're Right. You're trying to capture some of the poetry that you would get if you use Sanskrit. Well, also, the battle is going on eternally. It's an omnipresent battle. So if you don't know who is fighting with whom, how, how can you apply that to today's circumstances? Now here we can clearly see that the forces of goodness within ourselves are going to battle with the forces of evil with every activity, with every decision that we make. Uh, 
And if we don't know who's on which side and which team is fighting against whom, then it's impossible to apply the knowledge of the Gita to our inner struggle. Then it becomes a history of what, what those guys did back then. That's not relevant to our struggle today. And for this reason, we're translating all the names. On the battlefield of life. On the battlefield of life. That's funny. <coughs> Yes. That, um, can you say a little bit more about that? It seems like that's, a, that's an important... He is. He's, he's, he's a very important character in the whole story. Bhishma, the great-grandfather. Uh, Bhishma rules fear. He knows no fear. He rules over fear. Uh, if he is protected, uh, then we, our army will have no fear. He received the boon of Ichimritu, uh, he will only be slain when he wants to go. He'll give up his life at his own desire. And he's on the side of blind ambition. Yes, he is. Yes, because he took a vow that he would support and defend the king of Hastinapur, no matter who sat on the throne. So he had uh, the, the duty to support blind ambition, even though he knew he was right. And ultimately, he decided, well, I'm just going to give up my life. Because as long as I'm alive, the sons of who is without prejudice will never win. And they have to win, because that's dharma. Well, uh, that's the, the way that karma befell him. So who rules fear voluntarily gave up his life in the battle so that the sons of, without, without, of he was without prejudice uh, could be victorious. And you'll find it, it later in the story uh, uh, all of the other great leaders who from because of circumstance had to support blind ambition be uh, either out of obligation or um, uh, in some way that uh, they were required, they owed allegiance to Hastinapur, to the city, to the kingdom, to the uh, predecessors. And therefore, the, the older men stayed on the side of Durjadan, even though they knew he was wrong, even though they wished for his defeat. And one by one, they followed Bhishma's example, and they all gave up their lives on the battlefield, voluntarily. They said, these, uh, the, the rightful victors will never be victorious so long as we're here. And we cannot desert and we cannot desist from fighting. All we can do is voluntarily lose. They surrendered. They gave the ultimate surrender. They allowed themselves to move toward, to death. Uh, some of them gave a good battle, and some of them just gave up. Yes. This is all from the Mahabharata. So they would be established as members of society? Oh, yes. They were extremely well-established leaders of their, their society. They were sold out to, um, um, to defend the kingdom. 
And it just so happened that blind ambition became the king. And blind ambition, his uh, uh, ambition knew no bounds. Uh, no, actually, Durjadan, the defender of evil, uh, uh, took away the kingdom of those who, uh, the sons of whose are who are without prejudice through cheating in a dice game. And the uh, the terms of their banishment were that they were to spend eleven years in the forest and one year in hiding, and after the twelve years they could come back and have their kingdom. So they came back after 12 years, and the defender of evil said, I'm not going to give you the kingdom. Go into the forest and live your lives. And um, uh, then the sons who were out uh, uh, without prejudice, uh, they said, uh, that's, that's not our agreement. That wasn't the bargain. Uh, so either you uh, return our kingdom to us or we'll have a fight. Now, Durjadan, the defender of evil, had always longed from childhood. He wanted to prove that he was stronger than the sons without prejudice. So he was looking for the fight. He wanted to fight because in every way the Pandavas, the sons of he was without prejudice, demonstrated their superiority in every way. Uh, they were uh, su superior in uh, military skills. They were superior in academic skills. They were superior in uh, administration of the, of the country. In all the tasks that they performed, they outperformed him. And he was jealous. So he was looking to demonstrate his superiority. It seemed like we saw lots of little temples Especially like in Malikarjun, where the Pandavas supposedly worshipped. Yes. Quite a few places. There were many places. The Pandavas were in exile in the forest for 11 years. And during those 11 years, it is said that they roamed the entire uh, continent of India. And they did pujas in all the various places. And they counseled with all the sages and saints. And they studied and they did tapasya. And they did various forms of sadhana in order to gain strength for the impending battle, which they knew would have to be fought. Yet, uh, Yudhisthir, who was the oldest and the rightful king, he said, I'm not going to fight the battle right now. Let us f wait the, the 12 years, and then we'll fight. Arjun and Bhim said, why should we wait? We know we're going to fight. Let's fight them right now. And Yudhisthira forbid them for, from fighting. He said, look, we have been ordered by our elders to go into exile for 12 years, and then they will give us back the kingdom. If we have to fight, let's fight on the side of righteousness, knowing that we have fulfilled our obligation completely. And after they fulfilled their obligation completely, then they came to this battlefield. They were outnumbered 11 to 7. Uh, the, there were 11 soldiers on the side of the defender of evil for every seven soldiers on the side of those sons of who were without prejudice. The defender of evil called the 
Paul's the great teacher, I think, here. Oh, excellent, among the twice Yes. Yes. The higher castes have two births. Uh, the first is the birth from the womb of their mother, and the second is the birth or rebirth through the womb of wisdom. And anyone who takes initiation, uh, uh, poita, uh, janeu, a sacred thread, and take initiation in the Gayatri Mantra is called dvija. They're twice born. They have two births. They've been born into a human body, and now they're born in the womb of wisdom. And so he's the most excellent among the twice born. And here we have so many examples of the respect, the language that people are calling each other, the names. Uh, if we had learned names like that when we were in grammar school calling other people names, uh, <laughs> it might have been a different growing up for us. Uh, uh, the, 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 the way that people address each other with such great respect and authority. Uh, are there other questions? In the last, um, in the last couple of lines, is, is clarity of pure devotion really in conflict, or is he just simply speaking the hesitation? Well, he has a conflict. He's gone all this way and said uh, to prepare for the war. And now seeing in front of him that he's got to kill his teachers, his gurus, his grandfather, all his cousins, uh, and many of his uncles, and many of his best friends. He said, whoa, I don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that. I've committed to doing it, but that was a mistake. Yes, I only, I, you know what, I think I'd like to put down my bow and arrow right now and let them shoot me and let's get it all over with. I don't want to kill all these people. They're, they're the people I love. If I were going to go out and win a kingdom, I would give it to these people. Sure, Durjadan, the defender of evil, is an evil person. But still, you know, all my family, I'm going to kill them all because of one evil person? Yes, this is a conflict to me. Suddenly I'm faced with the reality that hey, I don't want to shoot those people I love. I spent my life in their laps. I grew up loving those people. They provided for me. They educated me. They taught me everything I know. And now I'm going to use that knowledge against them? This is a true source of conflict. That's true. That's, he's the clarity of pure devotion. Yes? Good. Was, was Arjuna the only one that felt that? Or did they all feel Well, obviously they all felt it, but they, this is the expression of it. Mm -hmm. Arjuna he, is the one. He was the one that really was out there to hear. Oh, no. They, they were all angered by the activities of the defender of evil. Well, there were so many incidents. Yeah all the way from their childhood to this very moment on the battlefield. There were so many incidents. That's right. Uh-huh.
They were all very angry with Durjadan. Yeah. Why did they just give him? Well, because he was defended by his army. What kind of dramatist are you? <laughs> Let me ask you, Gotamuni, yes. when, when you were entertaining some thought in your mind, yes. uh, aren't there a number of defenders to that thought? There's a whole army. And the thoughts on this side gang up against the thoughts on that side, and there's a real conflagration there. The confrontation isn't just a minor one-on-one uh, -on -one situation. It would be nice. It would be nice. It would certainly make the conflict a lot more manageable. <laughs> so this is the same kind of conflict resolution. That is the nature of the mind in every activity, every decision that we make. We have to fight a Mahabharat. Every decision until we surrender. And that's what Arjuna is going to learn about in the succeeding chapters. What it means to surrender. And sometimes it means to pick up your bow and fight. <laughs> that was Arjuna's surrender. Stand up for Dharma. Don't succumb to weakness and don't turn your back on Dharma. Stand up for Dharma. That was Arjuna's final resolution. What does Arjuna's son Abhimanyu represent? Uh, Abhimanyu was the rebirth of love. When Dronacharya assembled the chakra room? Yes. Uh, why did he only have half of the answer to penetrate it? Uh, uh, because uh, love got the boom. When Shiva burned love, uh, Kamadev was put up to attacking Lord Shiva. Uh, he was going to help Parvati as though she needed some help. She could have just winked at him once and Shiva would have left his asan, but she didn't. So all the gods got together and they said, we got to get Parvati together with Shiva. <laughs> And she's having a little trouble doing it herself. So let's send Kamadeva. God of love went there with Rati, the spring, his wife. And they made it spring. And they sang and they danced. And Shiva didn't bat an eyelash. So then Kamadeva took his trusty bow with that flower-tipped arrow. <laughs> and he took perfect aim at Lord Shiva. He hit Lord Shiva. Shiva woke up and saw Kamdev, the god of love. And he got mad. <laughs> he said, you think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go lusting after Parvati because you shot me with an arrow? You gotta be kidding, I'm not falling for that. 
<laughs> and out of his third eye came a light, and that fire burned Com Dave to ashes. And the God of love was just a pile of ashes. Rati, his wife, the spring, came over to Shiva. She grabbed his feet. She said, Shiva, that was my husband. It wasn't our idea to come here. We didn't come here of our own volition. The God sent us. They said you were having trouble falling in love with poverty by yourself. They said, shoot him. <laughs> He'll get up his, from his asana as soon as poverty winks at him. <laughs> So we were obeying the gods. Now I've lost my husband. He's become, he's gone. And Shiva said, your husband isn't gone. Because of your devotion to your husband, I'm giving you a boon. Your husband will be omnipresent. He'll be the strongest of the gods. No one will be able to resist love. You won't be able to see him. But everyone will feel him. So Rati was a little bit happy. But she said, you know what? I've been with this guy for a long time now. I want to see him. I want to feel him. And Shiva said, in the Dwapar Yuga, your husband will be born as the son of Arjuna. His name will be Abhimanyu. And Abhimanyu, you will be born as Viratraj's um, uh, uh, daughter, not Matsinresh. Uh, and your name will be Uttara. And Uttara will marry Abhimanyu. And that's the story. He was able to go in and defeat the entire army, but at the end he couldn't get out. Couldn't get out. Right. Why was he not able to succeed? He, he had his time with Rati, with Uttara. They got married, and they brought forth a child. They, the child was uh, um, uh, Parikshit. And uh, Pariksit was born on the battlefield. And he became the king of the earth after the Mahabharata War. After the war was complete and the Pandavas won, they gave up all their possessions. They installed Pariksit as the king as soon as he was uh, of age. And they all went to the Himalayas to perform tapasya. And Parikshit was the last king of Dwapar Yuga. And he was the father of Janamejai. Actually, Janamejai was the last king uh, of, of, of Dwapar Yuga. Hmm. That was the story. Because that's what he represents in um, the um, in the story, and Arjun uh, comes from the same. 
uh, root as arjha. Uh, it's a combination of arjha, one who is purified by knowledge, and orun, uh, who drives the light, uh, uh, drives the chariot for the light of wisdom. Uh, so, who is purified by knowledge and and drives the light, uh, the chariot for the light of wisdom, Arjun. Uh, he came out to be the clarity, the purity of devotion. That's how. Parikshit? Bori Ikshit? The highest discrimination, supreme discrimination. Ikshit discrimination? Mm hmm. Yes. No, actually, his son, uh, Janame Jai, uh, went off and performed uh, the great Yagya. That's another story. Om Sang Saraswati Namaha Iti Pratmadhyaya. That's the first chapter. It's often called uh, the delusion of Arjuna. But I didn't like that as a title. Uh, it's more about you know what the story's about. This discourse is going to go on in the battlefield, and Arjuna's feeling the conflict. He doesn't want to dis de destroy his family or to slay his relatives. That's the battle. So why wouldn't you just want to kill him immediately? <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while. Why would there be a conflict? They're your own children. <laughs> why doesn't the ego want to surrender immediately? Because attachment. <coughs> attachment. Thank you. Om Sang Saraswati Namaha.